Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day everyone, how you going? Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Investing Insights of Right Property Group and joined in lockdown. Victor in his blue house, Victor Kumar, Steve Waters, Directors of Right Property Group. Socially distanced, uh, using the marvels of the interweb. I think this is our second lockdown podcast now for COVID 2.0. We've uh, been thrust into what is a usually nationwide lockdown, which is a lot more significant than anyone would have thought a month ago when we last got together, gentlemen. How are you tracking through this lockdown? All good, all smiling, all happy? Yeah, look, I think everybody's doing as well as could be expected. There's a little bit of fatigue, to be fair, that's starting to creep in, apart from the obvious around the economic hurt and the health, but fatigue is definitely starting to you know, enter between my ears. Mm. Yeah, I'm not quite happy, Phil, because I thought, you know, it'd be a bit more organised this time around and get our coffees to us via Uber Eats, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe a donut as well at the same time. But obviously, you're cutting corners again. Well, no, Victor, I'm happy to report that, uh, as you guys know, um, here at Momentum Media, as well as being in property, we're also quite big in aviation. And we got a big report that's coming out in about two weeks' time about the new Google delivery engine using drones called Google Wing, I think it's called. And now, and you guys, this is a property context, and maybe some people can tell us about this, but Australia is the epicenter of this development about using drones for delivery globally. And Google has invested all their money into Australia for testing this technology. And where in particular are they doing it? Logan. Logan. So if you're up in Logan and you're looking up, you're probably seeing drones buzzing around all over the joint. This is the future where they're delivering coffees, pizzas, kebabs, other packages uh, via drones. So we know the folks over there at Google pretty well who are buying this program. So maybe we can get some coffees delivered out uh, to where you are uh, in Southwest Sydney. I don't know. It's, uh, maybe not enough fuel to get that way. Not enough fuel. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to need a drone passport to get all the way out there. But um, mate, this is the future. But but Logan Shire is where it's all happening, Victor. That's right. That's right. And there's quite a bit more happening there. Not not just that. There's um, uh, when you really use Google, uh, if we're using that as a segue, there is a whole heap of very large businesses that have been commissioned within that area. And certainly they were all, always there, but th- these are things that people don't necessarily know. It doesn't have a direct impact right now, apart from employment, local employment, but it'll certainly put things on the map. And, you know, this is not just Logan, there are the many different centers all across Australia where there's some pretty innovative stuff happening with uh, companies, with uh, research centers and so forth that certainly bring it, no pun intended, on, onto the map. Yeah. You guys have been just, Chatting about Logan and uh, obviously Google's uh, investing in there and why Logan, I'd like to know, must be some, the density of or the flow of how people live or work or whatever. I probably should look into that a little bit more, but um, you guys have been bullish on Logan for many years. What's going on out there at the moment? Well, certainly uh, there is, you know, you've got to be in the right suburbs to begin with. You've got to be in the right suburbs, the right type of house and understand the growth patterns, your, your tenant profile, your end user profile, if you're trying to offload the home at some point in time. And then also look at it from a viewpoint that, you know, there needs to always be a value add proposition to the property itself. Understanding that Logan's pretty much the largest LGA in Queensland. And um, it has quite a few suburbs, some good, some excellent, some not so good, right? So you need to be mindful of where you're investing and not try and compare it, uh, if I may, to say Sydney, 
uh, and uh, you know expect a Sydney type growth in Brisbane because all states, all suburbs, they all have their own intricate growth patterns and their own do's and don'ts within that area. Mm. I think a better way to describe it, Vic, is we're selectively bullish. Yes. On, yeah. on you just don't buy anything in local. Right, yeah, so. it's not a it's not a blanket approach. Nor is any suburb. No, and that goes back to the fundamentals. And one of the things that we've been chatting about for many years on this particular podcast, Investing Insights, with the right property group, is actually understanding and embracing those fundamentals to make more informed investment decisions. And obviously, just by throwing your money somewhere doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. But to our side of the scope of this podcast, I thought, gents, it'd be appropriate for us to give some sense and some views towards this very fluid environment that we're operating in right now. Prior to this most recent lockdown, which was born out of uh, a limo driver in Sydney, which spread to the eastern suburbs and then spread across wider Sydney with a couple of super spreader events. Um, we now know that uh, you know, here in New South Wales, we're getting sort of cases daily, new cases, sort of 400 plus, and it's now spread into other borders. ACT's locked up for the first time in about 14 months. Brisbane or um, Queensland also locked up. Victoria locked up. Tassie seems to be all right. Uh, the United Federated State of Western Australia, uh, nothing going on there. They've got that locked right up there. They've got a premier there who sees the world a particular way. But this environment sort of has slowed down some of the rhetoric towards this growth, accelerated growth that Australian property was on, uh, Steve, prior to the lockdown. So I think we should really break this down and, and consider, does this change anything? how this would be potentially putting the brakes on the market, changing people's buying or selling, decision-making, and some of the sort of financial macro and micro implications around it. What's your sort of top-line view on this current lockdown and how it will shape property markets, mate? Before I get to that, I just want to address a rumour you know, on behalf of you and defending you that it was your limo driver <laughs> that, was, that was ground zero. Not true, is it, Phil? It, um, look, hey, I, I, luckily, Steve, I've got a number of different limbos I use, right? <laughs> yeah, one of them is a Bentley. Yes. It's, um, <laughs> I thought I'd get that out early. It's, um, there's no doubt that COVID has definitely reshaped markets across the world, not just Australia. It has also it has deferred certain trends and created new trends. Now, some of those trends may be sustainable and some certainly won't be. I feel this lockdown, so for Sydney really 2.0 and for, you know, say Victoria, yeah, 6.0. <laughs> this one has a different flavour to it. And while some of the effects may be similar, in some way, shape or form, some of the effects are harsher this time around. And I think the consequences thereafter will be as well. Having said that, as we reach you know, a certain level of vaccinations and learn to live with it potentially, uh, yeah, there'll be a back to normality pathway, if you will, where prices will continue to grow in some areas, maybe not at the same you know, vertical pitch that they had before, but certainly there'll be a snap back to pre-16 weeks ago or thereabouts across the country. Because let's not forget that when you have the majority of the country locked up, that's a huge hit on the overall economy, even down to its, you know, a suburb profile. Like take Sydney as an example. There are a lot of people that are hurting, you know, financially and via health. And the question is, or one of the many questions is, how will that affect from a property point of view, the serviceability metrics 
as we roll out of that with reduced hours and, and income? Will there be a gap in the market, a void in the market whereby the intent is still there? And as a side note, we're still seeing massive search intent. I noticed on the platforms it spiked again, as it did when COVID first happened way back, which seems like decades ago now. But there'll definitely be a void in the market, I believe, which will have that eventually that snap back to where it was before. Yeah. And I think it's good to consider this version of lockdown versus the previous version of lockdown, Victor. And, and there is a lot of differences. You know, if you think back to March, April, May, June of last year, government intervention, and I was quite complimentary. I think we all were around how responsive the government was to getting a hold of the potential for economic impact on Australians and their livelihoods and some pretty big government stimulus to supporting that JobKeeper 1.0, which turned into JobKeeper 2.0, which made it a little bit harder for businesses to access it. But there's a whole bunch of interventions to help try and stabilise the the sort of economic fabric of the nation. One of them was, um, you know, moratoriums on not being able to throw people out of rental properties, which is a big hit for property investors. We spoke about that. Uh, there's also investors and, and owner occupiers could take a mortgage holiday for six months and not have to pay. You know, none of that exists this time around. So, you know, it's a very different environment. And as long as this current restrictions continues to stay in place, and, and now they're talking about like, you know, November, maybe even December before we get back to where we were, based on this sort of vaccine rollout, this 80, 70% of vaccinations, it's a very, very different environment. And there's a lot less security for Australians. And there's a whole bunch more trapdoors potentially there for people who are investing in property or even maintaining their portfolio. How do you make sense of all of that, mate? Look, certainly. Uh, and, and we're talking particularly the Sydney lockdown, right? This is now, at the time of recording, this is week eight of our lockdown in that sense. And um, yeah, definitely the financial support mechanisms that were there for the first ever lockdown, which is last year in April, isn't there. Right. So you haven't got the job keeper, you haven't got the mortgage moratorium. I think people are now sort of taking that in their stride. So in, you know, on the ground, I'm not seeing any panic selling or anything. In fact, if I may, it's actually panic buying more than panic selling at the moment as well. So if you look at the data that rolled in for the sales ratio for three months preceding July. It's sitting at 1.4. Now, traditionally, it's 0.9. So what that means is that for every one property that's coming on the market, 0.9 sells. That's a traditional. So that was for the last decade. But now the sales data is for every property that's um, coming on the market, 1.4 properties are sold. Now, to put it in perspective number-wise, and this is talking Australia-wide, so put it in number-wise, there were 171 sales in that quarter. And there were only 121,000 properties that came on the market as new listings. So there's a big gap happening there as well. A lot because also because, you know, we're in lockdown. People sort of want to see this through before they put their property in the market. And when you look at all the predictions of usually around this time every year, we start talking about the spring selling season and all that sort of stuff. It might not actually eventuate. And if it does eventuate, we've got all this pent-up demand that's sitting down the sidelines. And as Steve, you said that the the, um, uh, search intent is way up there in terms of people looking for properties as well. So we will get that taken up really quickly from a supply and demand point of view. So I don't think there'll be a slowdown in the market in terms of 
is the lockdown going to slow the market down? I don't think so. It's interesting because there is some media outlets that are talking about a few of the steel curtained LGAs that have already seen a reduction you know, up to 30%. Mm. Yeah, in some instances. And I think we should take that with a grain of salt because if you dig a little deeper, that's well, the truth is not that's not the truth. They just uh, see one one aspect of the data only. Well, the sample pool shrinks yep. dramatically. You know, if you take a I don't know, a Liverpool LGA where you know, why are people going to list their houses for sale when there's zero mobility? They're going to wait until there is mobility. So the pool gets you know smaller as we discussed earlier on. I think that there is, I don't like to use the word uncertainty because I see this as a potential opportunity, just as it was at the beginning of COVID. However, there are some attributes that we need to look very deeply at around your level of stock, serviceability. Is it a reshape of the trends or is it, you know, sea change, tree change version 2.0? And where will, in combination with the spring selling season, as you just mentioned, where does that leave early next year? Because at the end of the day, this is still about mobility and mobility equals income, income equals security. And the search criteria has rebounded dramatically, but not just in the form of potential sales. It has also done, or well, the search has also increased dramatically around rentals as well. And we're starting to see that throughout the different states in terms of the buoyancy. As properties become vacant, they're achieving a higher rental income as people look to you know, solidify their position or escape you know, to a different area, putting pressure on areas such as Brisbane. Even, even the southwestern corridor of Sydney is starting to see a, a reduction in the vacancy rate. Now, there are clearly areas that are still you know, probably double digits in terms of the vacancy rates, but there are those sweet spots which certainly are not. Do you guys subscribe to the idea that this is only going to exacerbate the supply and demand uh, ratio, when you think the latter part of this year and into next year, you've already got this pent-up demand. You're talking about surge traffic increasing. Look, a lot of that I think is people sitting at home without much else to do, right, thinking about the future. That might have something to do with it. But it was already a super tight market with very little stock coming on. Now, my view before this lockdown was that you're going to see a lot of stock coming onto the market in that sort of sort of latter spring area running into summer, uh, purely because people have been waiting for some sense of normal and understanding where the market. So that was going to see a, a flood of stock coming onto the market. That's now not going to happen, but that isn't dissipating the the demand for people to buy property in this market. Overlay that, Steve, with super cheap interest rates and, and now probably government intervention probably being put on the brakes in terms of intervening and, and trying to take some of the heat out of the market. I reckon come February, March of next year, there's going to be very little stock on market and even more buyers out there, which is only going to inflate property prices. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. The reason being is, or part thereof anyways, is around that serviceability scenario because hours have been reduced and incomes have been reduced you know, dramatically in some instances. And whilst you might have all that intent in the world to purchase, if the bank isn't going to give you the money because of your reduced hours, it'll probably take until the end of the first quarter next year to have the serviceability back in place to be able to purchase. So in some way, shape or form, this scenario that we have now, in my belief, gives more legs to the current run on property. But to put it into perspective, Vic, and I was going to sort of go to, if you put it in the perspective, you're talking about some people have reduced hours. If you work in hospitality or 
or whatnot. But there is, if you got a job at the moment, they're pretty bloody stable in other areas which are impacted by COVID. So it's a lot of cash up people right now, a lot of certainty, Victor. Yeah, absolutely. And and then when you look at it from uh, you know how the metrics are forming, right? So we are already in a housing shortage. We were when we went into COVID. We were in a housing shortage with the lockdowns and the uh, cost escalation of timber, steel. The construction industry, well, in, in Sydney, ground to a halt forcibly. And of course, there is going to be this flow on effect of constructions running late, uh, constructions not starting. Uh, and then when we add onto that, when some level of normalcy returns, when we add back the immigration factor that's going to come in, that's certainly going to create even more restrictions in terms of supply because they'll be snapped up by people coming in by people that are here uh, already that will jump into the property bandwagon, whether they're not doing it right now because of mobility, they will jump on the bandwagon. And then you look at it from a viewpoint of what's happening with the rents. Because there's less supply, the rents are actually creeping up everywhere. So it's it's not unusual now to talk about 0.1% vacancy rates in areas where the traditional vacancy rates were 3% in those areas. That's a good point. So if we could picture a big pie and that pie has 30 components, which is the overall property market and what drives it up, down or sideways, there are a lot of components that aren't being recognised at the moment, albeit there's small slithers of the pie, but they're a contributing factor. And you just mentioned one, which is the cost of construction. And we talked about this probably two months before the end of the financial year, saying that you watched construction costs go up by circa 20%. And when you break that down into labor's gone up in terms of the specified trades, cement can't get timber for frames and trusses, steel's gone up circa 50%. But then there's all the other components, tiles, door hinges, door handles, you know, and the like, which all adds to a higher cost of construction, which has a knock-on effect to existing property. There's almost, not that there's a drag up effect, but there is an effect. So there's lots of these different components within the overall pie that is shaping the housing industry. And one of the other components, because of you know, the market you know, in flux that we have, and when I say a market, I'm talking about a worldwide economy, and in particular ours, that will eradicate what is some of the traditional drivers of the markets into new trends. And as we've discussed before, it's well, if we're identifying a trend, which then translates into data, which then translates into the narrative and the reporting around it, I believe part of the trick is to find out what are those trends that are emerging that are sustainable. Before they hit the data points. Because that's where you want to be and that's how you want to invest. Hmm. So you spoke, Steve, about this uh, snapback, and I guess snapback being back to where we were prior to this current lockdown. Well, what does that snapback look like for you, considering your points there around increasing building costs, access to trades, access to construction capabilities, pimped up demand from cashed up buyers? Is it going to be a different market coming out of this than what was moving into it? I think it will be a different market, but not in terms of necessarily the how, the what, and the where, but more about the rate of growth. Mm. Yeah, When we went into or when we came out of the initial lockdowns when COVID first existed, and as you mentioned earlier on, we had you know, the job keeper, job seeker, we had the mortgage monitorium, which was a big one, enabled people to build their war chests of the in case. 
Now, the encase didn't necessarily happen, so they had quite a large war chest to go out and utilise as part of their shopping spree, so to speak. This time, we don't have those war chests, generally speaking. So I think whilst when we have the snapback, there'll be a surge in some prices, uh, in some areas, even potentially back to what it was at the peak of the rate of growth early this year, late last year. I think it could be more short-lived in terms of the rate of growth back to, I won't say a normalized rate of growth because I still think it'll be above average in, in some areas, but there's a lot of other, once again, components, pieces of the pie that we don't even know about yet that will largely contribute to the shape of you know, the in, or the property markets going forward. And that is, you know, how long will it take people to get consumer confidence back? Yeah. One of the things I wanted to clarify, Steve, when you mentioned, you know, we've, we've, re- we've gone past the peak of the rate of growth. We're not saying we've gone past the peak of the market. It's the trajectory of the growth that's starting to flatten out a bit. Good point. It's a very good point because people often talk about the property clock that you know, various institutions put out. And I'd urge everybody to take that very, very lightly. And an example comes to my head probably at the beginning of COVID or not long after it, where some of the property clocks indicated uh, the central coast of Sydney at the peak. And I would suggest there's probably been another 30% growth since then. Yeah. So everybody's having a stab in the dark around the trajectories of growth and where the markets are. Let's not forget, this is a completely different set of circumstances. You can't use yesterday's, dare I say it, trends of the last 30 years and metrics and just blanket approach investing going forward from today because the world has changed. Look at the work from home scenario, the blended approach. There are so many huge contributing factors here that if you invest today like you did yesterday, you'll be left behind. So it's important at this stage, looking at it from you know what you're buying, where you're buying. Uh, and if you're reliant on data, that's, that's as you say, Steve, yesterday's data, which, which I agree with, right? Because the circumstances of yesterday were very different to today's circumstances. We can't use that as the metric to invest. Uh, and certainly, we need to then definitely come back to what we've been saying all along, even pre-COVID, is that you need to be looking at it from a fundamentals point of view to say that, okay, if I am buying this property, how does it fit into my picture, right, in terms of what I'm trying to achieve, what will it achieve for me, and how can I identify the trajectory, the trend, the want for this type of property in this area, rather than uh, blindly following most media articles or most Facebook posts where they're saying, hey, this is a great area, good fundamentals, going you know, at the rate of knots in terms of growth. Because one, they could be transient, or second, they could be reliant on the wins of the yesteryears, which right now we're playing a different game altogether. So the speed of growth is starting to wane and will wane, but that doesn't necessarily mean there won't be growth. This current cycle, we'll talk about property clocks and yeah, I echo your sentiment, Steve, around let's be careful with them. It's just a nice visual way in which some people use to show the different property markets. When do you think this growth sort of cycle will stop or what's going to stop the other way? Look at what's going to stop this current growth cycle, Steve? It's an interesting question because I think there are so many, once again, there are so many contributing factors. It could be around clearly the cost of money. It could be the availability of credit. You could have cheap interest rates, but if you can't get the credit, that'll be a slowdown in itself. Yeah, Will APRA 
yank the handbrake again. Yeah, they're the major components. And then you could probably go to the next level around in terms of the immediate future supply because the demand is definitely there. Mm. And I think there was probably maybe a year ago, two years ago podcast where I mentioned that people's thought processes have changed dramatically over the last few generations. And the example I give is that today, thanks to technology, people's entrepreneurial mindset is much larger than it was, say, back in early 2000s. Is this moment in time a hammer between the eyes for people to say, well, you know what, I can't be reliant upon my job? That's not what the future is. You know, I need to invest, not just properties. It could be gold, pencils, business, shares, whatever it may be, but something where they take an active approach in their future rather than being reliant upon the government system and, you know, the boss. I think if Australia strives towards that with people who are empowered to look after their own financial future, I reckon that we've all done our job pretty effectively. And I guess that's what the business that we're in, I do it through podcasts and you guys do it through the work of the right property group. And that is, getting Australians to be accountable and responsible for their financial future and given the capabilities to live whatever retirement that they want or whatever lifestyle they want through investing in property. Look, a job is a great way to manufacture cash flow, but if you just blow that money on you know, stuff and don't invest that in the future, well, there's a lot of people who are in that cycle, unfortunately, but there is, I think now, I believe today, uh, Victor, a lot more people who have been responsible. As I remember back to the GFC where like, everyone sort of outsourced their financial future to other people and they had their money in their super, which was in sort of retail and industry funds that a lot of people blew their dough. I think a lot of people actually understood that they need to be responsible for their financial future at that point in time in a decade or so since has been a real enabler. People now, Steve, to your client base, you're all investing into the future. So yeah, the clear message is your response, you're accountable. You shouldn't be sucking on the teat of the government dollar in retirement. You know, you can do, and there's a fallback position, but that should be the fallback position. So making these decisions like this now, which are helping to inform and educate people. So everyone's listening to this going, okay, this sounds really good, guys. What you're telling me is that there's going to be growth, but we don't know how long. But irrespective of the market, Steve, it's always a good time to invest in property, right? <laughs> I was just having a bit of a giggle to myself as, as you were saying that. Essentially, what you're saying is nobody knows. We don't know how long nobody the rate knows. of no, no one knows how long the rate of growth or how long it'll grow for, when it'll turn or go sideways. Nobody ever does. If you can pick the absolute bottom or top of a market, that's more good luck than good management. Yeah. And therefore, you should have, as we all talk about many, many times, such a long-term filter in terms of your assets where, for me, short-term in property is 15 years, yeah. Yeah. medium-term over 20, long-term legacy. Yeah, that's the way I, I judge it because nothing is ever lineal. It isn't the 6.27% every year. It doesn't work that way in terms of growth or rental increases. So you need to be controlling the opportunity for when you do get an anomaly in the market like we have today, yeah. like we had at the end of the GFC, like we had in the early 2000s, so that you're controlling the opportunity for tomorrow. And I think the point is, Victor, I like your views or observation on this. You're talking, Steve, about the, I guess, the utility of time. and the utility of time as in an investment, you're talking about short-term is 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years in property, but the utility of time as a property investor, most people now have some sort of this whole notion of a gig economy, right? For a lot of people, it's like, I don't want a full-time job. I want flexibility. Therefore, I'll be a gig worker. And a gig worker might be yeah, delivering 
food one day and then you've got another job another day and another job another day. There's positives and negatives to that. It's a lot harder to get a mortgage. But a lot of people who have a full-time job are looking for this side hustle is what you're talking about. And I reckon property is probably the perfect side hustle for most people. They've got cash flow coming through a job. That's good. How do you use that? How do you use your time effectively? So, you know, going back to the utility of time, going to get a second job delivering pizzas or being an Uber driver or creating a small business um, to sell something on Amazon or whatever, often not a good use of your time. The utility of time, if you want a side hustle, property investment is really where it is, Victor, because you get the double benefit of leveraging your full-time job and the way you generate your income for creating long-term wealth for 15 years. Your thoughts? That's right. Yeah. So it, it's um, you can get as involved or as uninvolved in the property journey. Now, I mean, we're not saying that it's a hands-off journey in that sense, but you can, you know, the type of investment you do within the property arena can be matched back to the time that you have on a day-to-day basis, your ability to make decisions, and and certainly your risk temperament as well. So it, it can um, suit most people out there. And the bottom line with property investing is that you've got to be in the game for a long haul rather than a quick, short win, because that's where casualties happen, because you're going too hard, too fast. But having said that, this is where once you've set up the foundational properties really well, you can afford to go short, you know, in short, hard bursts as well without the fear of becoming a casualty because you've got the fundamentals behind you in terms of a good, stable portfolio. And the best time to invest is really when you can still borrow the money. Yeah, it's make hay while the sun is shining. Uh, yeah, if, if you can invest in property in this market, I'd say it's a pretty good time to be investing in property. I liked what you said, Phil, and I'm going to steal it. I'll coin it as my own, that property is the ultimate side hustle. It is. Because what it allows you to do is buy yourself time for the future rather than potentially the side hustle. You know, you mentioned Amazon where you're drop shipping something where a lot of people create the extra income now, but they spend their future today because they spend the money. They spend it on the lifestyle as opposed to you know, putting it to work with the greatest ever side hustle, property. It's a great I say side that with hustle. A smile. It yeah. is. I say that with a smile on my face, but I actually truly do, you know, truly do believe it. But as Vic said, it's not the type of side hustle that you just set and forget, as we've said a gazillion times. It does take work. It takes patience. And it's certainly, certainly not passive. Yeah. And, and this is what they should be teaching at schools, you know, a, a side hustle where you're, and let's be fair, most people's side hustle, if it's not property, they're not creating capital value. It's not an asset they can sell. They're normally swapping time for money. And if you're just throwing that money into your usual stuff and you're spending it, it's largely a waste of time. But in property, if you're swapping time for capital growth, that's why it is the most beautiful side hustle there is. And there's not many other things like it because you know you create a an Amazon store for, for drop shipping. Yeah, you might make a few bucks out of it, but you're swapping a lot of time for income and you're not creating a lot of value in it. It's not really an asset you're going to be selling. I don't know how many people are selling e-commerce stores, but largely most aren't. When you look at the numbers in terms of uh, small businesses in Australia, 2.1 million small businesses, most of them are micro businesses of people who are selling stuff at a market, some crystals at a market, which they might do for a little while and, uh, and, and not really create much value into it. Put your time and energy and effort into property. I'm selling crystals at the market. But you know what I mean? Like I do. I I go to the the market near my house on a 
well, when you're allowed to on a, on a every every other Saturday, I go past it and I, and I walked and to be honest with you, I walked through there and I I feel depressed, and that sounds horrible. You're looking at the wrong crystals there. Yeah, <laughs> I need some crystals. <laughs> I need some better juju, but um. But, but Vic, where he lives, they're not crystal, they're diamonds. <laughs> I walk through there and look at everyone who's investing their energy and their efforts and their vision and their capital into this idea of creating the next big thing. And and it's horrible to say, but 99.9% of those businesses are probably going to fail. You know, they should be spending their time and money investing in property. Yeah, but maybe if you go back to your earlier point around the education system, which is a you know, certainly a, what I'm about to say, a bit of a pet project. Could you imagine the burden off the economy if the education within the schooling system around financial management, money management for your own personal circumstances was created and taught at an earlier age, you know, rather than, dare I say it, learning Latin? <laughs> you know, imagine the effect that that would have within, I'm going to call it two generations. In one generation, in the immediate generation, you know, financial literacy is key. And there's a couple of people working on it right now, but it's got to be done at a federal and state government level. You know, the sort of stuff I I look, what my kids are learning right now, and they're learning pretty good stuff. But, you know, some of the other stuff you're seeing in some schools, in state-based schools with left-leaning sort of orientated teachers, what they're teaching them around, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this, like spending time and energy on, on understanding the difference of the 57 different genders now rather than teaching kids about how to manage money, you know, come on, please. Yeah, I'll leave that one. I agree, yeah. but I'll leave it. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> well, if, if, you, if you look at it and putting it to perspective in terms of getting into a side hustle, right? So the reality of it is this is a side hustle and then you're taking a very small slice of a very, very big pie, which is $7.1 trillion. Eight trillion, uh, Victor. Yeah. The number's gone up to eight. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you look at the 2017 he had to sleep 18, for a week. I know. <laughs> uh, you know the 1718 uh, ATL stats, that was 2.2 uh, mil property investors, right? Which is, when you really look at it, that's about 20% of the population. So coming back to your crystal seller and looking at their crystal ball in terms of what they're doing, it's a reward for risk, right? And they actually hold a higher risk when they're selling the crystals as opposed to a well-selected, well-executed property investment because less time involved. So it's not a day-to-day time involved in the property investing side of it. Yes, there's more capital requirement, but the cash flow and the capital is both there as opposed to selling the crystals. It's just the cash flow. You still need the capital, much less capital, obviously, but you're getting the cash flow, but you're spending, what, half half a Saturday they're selling the crystals and you're making far less dollars as opposed to doing something like an investing journey, a well-executed investing journey, and getting a generational wealth happening because it's more of a, once you get a good portfolio happening, you can pass it on down, down the generations. Yeah, they teach good debt and bad debt, but they don't hmm. teach good time use and bad time use. Exactly. And what yeah. you're talking about there being the crystal seller, and it sounds horrible, that's bad time use. You know, yeah. it, it's it's wasted time. I, I think you're being general. I'm going to stick up for the crystal seller here because they might have a bigger plan than what any of us know. Maybe it's a necessity. Maybe they're doing whatever it takes. And I that's true. tilt my hat to them. 
And maybe they're just getting themselves into a better position to do whatever with their lives, whether it be buy pencils, more crystals, property, shares, create a business, yeah, whatever it yeah, may be. Let's not forget that the Amazon dude started in his garage. It's, um, yeah, that's yeah. fine, Steve, but that's one example of probably a billion failed examples of someone trying to do it. Like, yes, it can be achievable. What we're talking about here is the utility of time. And for the headline of this podcast is probably the ultimate side hustle, embracing that as an idea. <laughs> I think it's a means to an end. I think you're both being a little harsh on the crystal seller mm. because, like, I, you had a not, side Not discounting hustle. the good energy that crystals provide. Like, I used to have a, a side hustle. I had multiple businesses where I'd be literally selling semi-load, as a kid, semi-loads of hay. Yeah, I did whatever. Uh, mate, we've, it took. All, we've all had rackets when we were younger, right? But you can't take these things into it's not adulthood. A racket. A racket. You can't you take these things into adulthood. <laughs> well, you might have had a racket. It's just restricted. What we're ta- what we're talking about here is is people being accountable and responsible for their own financial future by using those things around them. And I think we've shown through this particular podcast that you don't need to be earning hundreds of thousand dollars a year to invest in property. Property exactly. is accessible to most working Australians if they do it the right way. And my argument or my thesis of this is that that's time better spent than doing side hustles where you're swapping time for income. You may want to do that to help create the cash flow to then get into property. Yeah. But um, certainly, yeah, long-term, you know, if you get into a asset that's going up in value and also providing you cash flow, uh, you can't go wrong with it. Mm. My thesis shows that everybody swaps time for money. It's called a job. Well, most people do. I know, but it's and what it, you do with that money, right? Correct. It's not what you make, it's what you do with it. What you do, what with, you it. do with it. Yeah. Yes. There's a great game out there, which we've talked about before, cash flow. I think it's Robert Kiyosaki's one. I wouldn't mind a few royalties now that I've mentioned that, Robert. It's, uh, but it's a, great, it's a great example of potentially the more you earn, you don't do as well as the person who potentially yeah. doesn't earn as much, but they're more frugal or smart with their money because- Ultimately, the more you earn, generally speaking, the more you spend to create. Which is the rationale that most lenders are using at the moment as well. It's exactly. You just stole my thunder. That's where I was going, but I'll let you have it. <laughs> it's, um, but it is. It's, it's um, you know, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah. And look, by the way, I think we're very fortunate in Australia and, and we're using um, the inverted commas, the crystal seller for any type of, of business, um, small business. And I'm probably one of the biggest proponents of the SME sector in Australia. I always speak very favorably about it. I think it's a great enabler for the nation. Most Australians are employed by small business. They do a great job mm. helping and they're their economic backbone of this nation. And, and I've always said it and I always maintain that. What I'm saying is that those people that generate income, use your money wisely. And if you want to, have a side hustle, think of property. That's it. The ultimate side hustle. The ultimate side hustle. Gary V's got nothing. Isn't that mate? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's just selling the dream on social media and uh, <laughs> he's got some good stuff though. But um, anyway, that was, uh, gentlemen, thanks for the insight into this particular market that we're in right now. I think the consensus between all of us is that obviously property is a great asset class but you just need to be understanding how you're operating within that time in the market, timing the market, using your time effectively. It's all about time. Property is a game of time, Steve. It's not a game of finance. There you go. Another, that's another headline. You must be a journo. Yeah, not a very good one. I heard. 
<laughs> Mate, at some point in time, they'll probably get someone better to do this podcast with you guys. You'll get a much better outcome than, than me just banging on, advocating small businesses. But um, uh, any parting words of uh, wisdom, Victor? You notice I didn't go to you, Steve. I, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly uh, I'd say that, you know, first of all, uh, if you are a crystal seller, apologies. We are just using that as an analogy. In terms of getting started and, and trying to read the market, get yourself financially ready first, get um, uh, your pre-approvals in place, and then uh, you can reach out to us um, uh, and you'll sit down with either myself or Steve and we can map out a plan to see how we can take advantage of your financial foundations, your financial fingerprints to map out a purchase plan in today's market and also take into account the trends that are unfolding to help you keep safe in tomorrow's market as well. It's all about tomorrow's market. Uh, Stephen, um, what's your sort of focus and priorities over the next couple of weeks, mate, as you navigate this particular lockdown? The first priority I have is to keep socially distanced. <laughs> and uh, and I'd do urge everybody part. to do yeah. your part. Absolutely. But for me, it's it's the same thing. It really, really is. It's, it's about discovering those trends and discovering the right areas and executing opportunities as they present themselves. But as Victor said, you can't execute opportunity unless you have the finance in place. So if you are entertaining, even at early stages, you know, investing, you really should be speaking with the right people in terms of brokers, bankers, or whatever it may be to get your ducks lined up, because at least then you'll know what you can and can't do. You don't have to spend a million dollars to get a good asset. Very good. Well, uh, thanks, gents. So Investing Insights for Right Property Group. Uh, if you want to get in touch with these guys, Victor, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. I get that correct? There we go. Correct. Or go, go to our website or our Facebook page and uh, send us a message and uh, we'll come back to you. Great. And um, if you're not yet uh, watching it, these guys do a uh, Facebook Live every second Tuesday, Steve. I get that right? Every second Thursday. Every second Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, you stumped me then. I was going, is it Tuesday? Yeah. Did I miss the last one? <laughs> yeah, you, you watch it on their social media as well. I uh, hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Um, Investing in Source Rock Property Group, so many podcasts. Go and check it out, whichever platform you listen to. One favour for us, please. That's uh, all we ask for is if you can keep those reviews coming wherever you listen to this. Um, we do get a kick out of them uh, to know that we are contributing uh, and participating as part of your wealth creation journey. That's uh, what we're about. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.